Good morning. We are into our second week of a summer message series called Replenish, about how do we recharge the human soul? How do we construct a sustainable lifestyle that enables us to honor Christ and actually live the way that he wants us to? The main point of last week's message was that once we're saved by grace, we need to live by grace. And we do that by giving God space in our daily schedule. We need a, a daily mini retreat with God to be alone with God and to pray. So did you do that this week? Did you spend any time alone with God? You can't leapfrog over that if you want the Lord to replenish your soul. But today, to start, I'd like to read from Psalm 46. And I really want you to listen to God's word here. If you've got something in your hands, like a, a pen, a, a phone, a bulletin, a cup of coffee, just put it down. Whatever it might be, just put it down. Focus your mind for a moment and really listen to what God might say to you through Psalm 46. Let's hear God's word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with all their surging. And dropping down to verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Amen. Thanks be to God. You know, everywhere I go, I run into people who talk about, talk about wanting to live a simpler life, a slower pace, a less hectic schedule, a life with more breathing room, a life that's more organic, more natural, more healthy, more focused, more in touch with God. Well, why? Well, it's because people are exhausted. They're kind of frazzled and fried and kind of struggling to hold it together. The pace of life is overwhelming, and it seems to just suck the life right out of you. In fact, this week I, I read a quote from a, a woman's magazine. See if you can identify with this. Year by year, the complexities of this spinning world grow more bewildering. And so each year we need all the more to seek peace and comfort in the joyful simplicities. That kind of hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? The faster the world spins, the greater our need to seek simplicity and peace. The only problem is that quote comes from the December issue of Women's Home Companion, December 1935. See, we are not the first people to struggle with feeling overwhelmed by the demands of life. Each generation has to face this because for some reason in our world, we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the lie that being busy equals being important. That your real value as a person comes from how much you can pack into a 24-hour day. We wear busyness like a badge of honor. Being busy is actually a status symbol in suburbia. You're expected to be busy, or else there's something wrong with you. We talk about how busy we are and how much we hate it all the time, and then yet we go back to it like it's an addiction. We can't stop. We can't get off the merry-go-round. Can't pull the plug. We, we think we can't change. Henry Nowen writes, in our production-oriented society, being busy has become one of the main ways, if not the main way, of identifying ourselves. Nowen goes on to say that we are actually afraid not to be busy. Because if we weren't busy, then we'd have to actually look at who we are 
and what we are doing with this life God gave us. It would call into question the value of all these things that we are so busy doing. What if, what if all this busyness doesn't really matter in the long run? What if all the stuff you are so busy doing isn't really worth doing? Then your whole value as a person is on the line. And that's uncomfortable. It actually, it's actually easier just to stay busy, stay distracted. It's easier to believe that we're just victims of circumstance, that we're powerless to do anything about it. We have to live this way unless you want to go off and live in a cave somewhere. You have to be busy unless you want your kids to be hopeless losers and, and total social outcasts. You know, you've got to get your kids into six zillion activities so that your little genius and phenom can blossom and outshine everyone else's kids and show the world what great parents you are. Maybe we're afraid not to be busy. And I'm not exempt from this. I have a love-hate relationship with my busyness. I hate being hurried and hassled by an overcrowded schedule, but I also know I function better under pressure. I like the adrenaline rush of getting important things done in a timely way. But the key thing for me is not to let the busyness take over my life, not to let the busyness define my identity as a child of God or that my value as a person comes from my performance. You know, you can't let the tail wag the dog. When you get to the point where your schedule is controlling you instead of you controlling your schedule, where your busyness defines you, that's when it gets destructive to your body, to your emotions, to your relationships, and to your soul. This frantic lifestyle we've endorsed, it actually comes with a pretty hefty price tag. Anxiety, high blood pressure, headaches, backaches, a rundown immune system, fatigue, sleep disorders, eating problems, depression, you know, the joy just sort of dries up and, and blows away. Intimacy is a struggle. There's tension in the home, arguments, anger. Fuses get shorter and shorter and misunderstandings get bigger and bigger. Tears, sometimes in public but more often in private. Our enthusiasm for life shrinks, our sense of contentment shrivels. People turn to alcohol, become dependent on medications, overuse their pills and and God then seems so silent, so far away. You know, we are one total person. So what affects us physically also affects us emotionally and spiritually. It all works together. And there's a connection between a depleted body and a worn-out soul. A while back, we had a Saturday seminar on stress with Christian psychologist Dr. Jim Owens. And he detailed the physical effects that stress produces in our bodies. Our body chemistry changes when we are constantly stressed. Our serotonin and adrenaline and cortisol levels, all that kind of puts us at serious risk for other physical problems because our bodies are not designed to be so supercharged all the time. Simply said, we are not physically or spiritually designed to go, go, go at such an unrelenting pace. So what does God have to say about dealing with an overwhelming life. Well, you might be surprised to know that God has a lot to say about it. In fact, it is one of the main themes of the entire Bible. God says to us, relax, relax. Well, that doesn't sound very helpful. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation, you're upset, maybe a little emotional, and somebody says to you, oh, relax. I mean, does that ever work? No. You say, well, you relax, you know, don't tell me relax. 
So what does it mean for God to tell us to relax? It means we need to live with a sense of rhythm. A sense of rhythm. You see, God has designed us to function best when we have a certain sense of rhythm in our lives. Spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically, we are all kind of hardwired to function best and feel our best when we live according to a sense of rhythm. God built a rhythm right into creation itself. From the very beginning in Genesis, uh, God built this rhythm into creation, Genesis 2, starting with verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Six days of work and one day of rest. Work and rest. That was the pattern of creation. And more than just a, a Sabbath principle about taking one day off per week, this is actually how the world operates. God wants us to learn to relax. We humans, we don't seem to know how to relax. We don't know how to rest. Just consider a, a two-year-old who fights against taking a nap. As adults, too often our idea of relaxation is reduced to just vegging in front of the screen or, or popping open a beer. We don't grasp the significance of what God is saying to us about our bodies, our minds, our emotions, and our souls. You see, relaxation is God's idea. Genesis 2 tells us that when God was finished with bringing the universe into existence, he rested. It's kind of an odd phrase. I mean, God rested. I mean, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need to plop down on some soft cloud and then chug a cosmic can of Red Bull you know, just to keep going. What's described here is a rest not of exhaustion, but a moment of joy and fulfillment. God rested. It's like God saying, I'm pleased with what I have done, and it's good. Sabbath means satisfaction in a moment of reflection. Satisfaction in a moment of of reflection, like an artist doesn't continually to wield the brush. At some point, the artist has to put the brush down and step back and see the canvas. That's what's described of God here. He took a moment in time to reflect on what he had done and to experience joy over his creation. Satisfaction in a moment of reflection, like a, like a baker taking in the aroma of a cake as it comes out of the oven or a surgeon stepping back from a successful operation, or a carpenter admiring a finished kitchen. A job well done. So Sabbath represents those moments when we take a step back, where we pause in our brushwork to kind of renew our vision of life, to renew our relationship with God and others, so that then we can again take up a fresh brush and start painting again. And if this pattern was valuable to God, it is certainly something for us to consider carefully. The idea of Sabbath took on an even deeper meaning for Moses and the Hebrew people in Exodus. Sabbath rest was built into the Ten Commandments. It's actually the longest commandment. They had been a slave people in Egypt for hundreds of years. Slaves didn't get a day off. Slaves worked and worked and worked under the lash of their masters. They only got time to rest when their masters said so or they died. This command from God gave them something absolutely new. They were God's people. They received dignity in God's eyes, and they needed time to recover from the hard physical labor 
of their journey through the wilderness. They needed it. Their animals needed it. God says there's a rhythm to life, a cycle, and part of that cycle is the need for rest. So relaxation and a holy day to honor God. The Hebrews moved from slavery to freedom, and Sabbath rest was a huge part of that new freedom. Isn't it interesting that in our day, we have voluntarily put ourselves back under the slavery of no rest, no Sabbath. How crazy is that? By Jesus' day, as is typical with us humans, we lose track of God's desires. Keeping the Sabbath had morphed into this very complicated religious legalism. People always seem to want to replace God's graceful intent with legalism. And so and they enforced the rule, no work on the Sabbath. And so people ask, well, how do you define work? Well, in Jesus' time, the Jewish Talmud, which was their law, had 64 pages of rules trying to define what people could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. 1,521 specific things that were forbidden for people to do on the Sabbath. So many rules, it reached the point of absurdity. For example, if you had a toothache, you couldn't gargle with vinegar to ease the pain because that was work. But you could use a toothbrush dipped in vinegar. Doesn't make any sense. Jesus' enemies tried to use all these Sabbath laws to entrap him. They didn't want Jesus healing on the Sabbath. You remember that? That was work, they thought. That was, their view was, you know, thou shalt not enjoy life or help anybody else on the Sabbath. And so Jesus pushed back. He challenged their legalistic attitude and he reminded them of God's original tent, Mark 2, 27. And then he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people, made to serve your needs, not for you to become a slave again to rules. The Sabbath is a gift from a loving God to a worn out world. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but to dig it out from under the mountain of legalism and rules and to give it again to us as a blessing rather than a burden. And yet for all that, that Jesus said about the value of Sabbath, Sabbath rest, believers throughout the centuries seem always to kind of morph back into legalism about the Sabbath, rules about what you can and can't do. For the most part today, people have rejected that approach. I mean, the pendulum has swung so far to the other side that we have, we have no Sabbath at all. Everything's open seven days a week. I mean, you almost have to have a PhD in organizational management to plan the weekend schedule of an average family. There is virtually no difference at all in our level of activity on weekends. We just have different kinds of stress. Jesus said the Sabbath was made to benefit people. This thing called Sabbath is good for you. If you want life in all its fullness, you've got to listen to the Lord on this one. The purpose of Sabbath is to prevent burnout. Every seven days you need to relax. You need to get physically, emotionally spiritually recharged because your batteries run down. And Sabbath is God's antidote to spiritual, emotional, and physical meltdown. You can, you can pray for inner peace all you want, but if you ignore God's clear word on Sabbath rest, you are not going to find it. Sabbath is God's number one remedy against the stress-filled world that we live in. Everything in creation lives with the sense of rhythm, of activity, and then recovery. From seasons to tides to your EKGs and EEGs, everything oscillates. All living things follow this activity 
recovery rhythm. And it's especially true for us as human beings. We are designed to go hard, but then recover. Go as best you can, and then recover. That's the rhythm we need for a healthy and happy life, to, to go hard with life, but then recover. It sounds simple, but for most of us, that is not how we live. I remember a few years ago when our family got a new puppy. It's a chocolate lab. We named him Bailey. Let me tell you, puppies understand this activity recovery rhythm. As a puppy, Bailey was a nonstop bundle of energy who tore through the house like a tornado. I mean, he would go, 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 and then literally just kind of tip over, flop down, and he was out. He would sleep. And when he was sleeping, you couldn't wake him up. I mean, you could set a firecracker off under his tail, and he wouldn't wake up. He lived by these bursts of activity and then massive rest. Go hard and then recover. Now, we understand the go hard part of the equation, the activity part. We know what it means to push ourselves, to burn the candle at both ends. We cram more in, we skip meals to do more work, we stay up late, we get up early. We frantically jump from one thing to the next. We can't exercise because we're too busy, we can't sleep because we're too restless. And so we perpetually live in a, in a negative energy situation all the time. A negative energy situation, our bodies are, bodies are like a battery. We, we drain energy out through all our activity, but then we've got no time to put the charger on. We've got no time to recover. So physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, we are drawing energy out all the time and never getting sufficient recovery. Does that make sense to you? Folks, this is an unrealistic and unsustainable way to live. We're actually going against the way God has designed us as human beings to function best. And the more we do that, we're actually increasing our pressures by not having enough recovery. One of the main things I'm trying to get across in this series is that our stressors, our pressures, are really not the problem. The going hard part isn't the problem. The lack of recovery is. We don't know how to relax, rest, recover. We don't know how to experience Sabbath. And the lack of recovery is our main problem. It's the imbalance of activity versus recovery that messes us up. You see, if we just keep feeding the activity side, then all we'll ever get is more stress and pressure. And your ability to cope with all that pressure will actually decrease. Your ability to perform well actually decreases when you have insufficient recovery. I mean, athletes know this. The very best athletes, they train for recovery. The best athletes know that they can have all the talent in the world, but they also need to be able to bring that talent to the surface when called on. And so they train to include moments of recovery and relaxation right in the middle of the action. Think of a, a professional tennis player like Roger Federer. He puts everything he's got into every serve and volley across the net. But when the point is won or lost, he takes those moments to walk slowly back to the service line. Bounces the ball a few times. He recollects his thoughts and recovers his energy and focus just for a moment before going hard after the next point. If he doesn't intentionally take those few moments of recovery, he'd be wiped out, energy depleted before the end of the second set. It's the recovery that helps him be at his best throughout the match. And that's what God really wants for you. That's really the meaning of the story we see in the Gospels about 
Mary and Martha. Let me read it for you. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha, she was so busy doing good things, preparing food, laying a nice table, practicing hospitality, nothing wrong with that at all. But being so busy with those things prevented her from bringing her best self to Jesus. She doesn't have time to fit Jesus into her schedule. And so she's distracted and frazzled. She actually gets mad at Jesus for not following her program. She's so busy she can't even hear what Jesus is talking about. Her focus is on herself. And that's all she can see. She's the kind of the consummate perfectionist who doesn't know how to relax and then can't even appreciate what's going on right under her own roof. And Jesus is so very tender with her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Could he be saying that to you this morning? Could you be missing out on what Jesus really has for you in your life because you don't know how to relax before him? You don't know how to experience Sabbath rest? Next week I'll talk more specifically about some practical ways to have a better sense of Sabbath Bring that into your life and family. But today, I really want you to hear what Jesus said. You are worried and upset about many things. And what the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. You see, daily you step into a high-stress arena. Are you prepared? Each day there's, there's one crisis after another. Are you ready? For you to be at your best to face the critical life issues, you need to live by this activity recovery rhythm. That is God's will for you. Living with Sabbath rest will help you expand your capacity so that you can bring your best self to the most important things in your day. When you follow God's rhythm for your life, you will be more productive. You will actually get more done. And you'll be happier while you're doing it. Relax. Let it go. Find God's relaxation rhythm for your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you made us. You understand us. You know how we work and what we need. You built Sabbath, relaxation, rest, into the very fabric of creation, but it's one of the ways that we continue to rebel against you. We go against our own design as human beings and think somehow we're going to be able to get away with it. But it all catches up to us, Lord. We feel it physically, we feel it emotionally, and we feel it spiritually. Challenge us this week to really look at our ability to rest in you, to find time with you, 
and to honor you. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name, amen.